uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the offices of prophet and priest and king uh, were distinct from every other office. And one of the ways in which they were distinct was the fact that they were all sanctioned with the anointing of oil. So if anyone was a prophet, they were anointed with oil. If anyone was a priest, they were anointed with oil. People who became king, the men who became king, were anointed with oil. And so the term Messiah, which means anointed one in the Hebrew, or Christ, which is the Greek equivalent in the New Testament, means again the same thing, anointed one, the Christ, the one who's been anointed with the chrism, with the oil of God. Um, that became associated, the idea of the Messiah and the Christ became associated with a combination of this threefold office of prophet and priest and king. Uh, so much so that uh, the early Christian church viewed every ministry of Christ through one or other of those particular lenses. Uh, every ministry of Christ had to, in some way or other, fall into one or other of these three categories of prophet, priest, and king. Um, and it's fair enough, you, you, you can do that, and uh, I'm, I'm not complaining, I'm not going to preach against that uh, this evening, but certainly that's the way it was looked at, and you can see the reason for it. And I want to look at one of those this evening. Um, we often speak about the Lord Jesus Christ as priest. It's there throughout the New Testament, particularly in Hebrews, I suppose. And we often speak about King Jesus. But I suppose one of those three offices that's least spoken about would be the office of prophet. Jesus as prophet. Um, what does that actually mean? Um, obviously, um, and Isaac Watson, that hymn majors on it when he talks about the prophet in that verse. Uh, obviously, he's speaking for God. He is the arch spokesperson of God. Um, that's what a prophet was, to speak for God. And Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, spoke God's word as no previous prophet had done, with a fullness and a purity, obviously, that outspoke uh, all the prophets who had gone before him. But there is actually far more to the prophetic role than that. And I don't want to concentrate upon that here this evening. And we've read the well-known story of the miraculous healing of the lame beggar, who for years had sat at the entrance of the temple uh, known as the Beautiful Gate. And the Apostle Peter uh, took the opportunity, as he always did, I've no doubt, uh, when a crowd had gathered to see the results of this amazing miracle, as of course they did, he took the opportunity to preach a powerful gospel sermon to the uh, astonished crowd. And uh, the lame man, he explains, has been healed, not through anything that they have done, but through the power of Jesus risen from the dead. And though this Jesus had been crucified by the people, my goodness, how he majors that. Time and again, he says, your fault, you did this, you did the other. He's the, 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 the son of God. I mean, goodness me, he really labors the point, what they've done. Uh, though uh, Jesus had been murdered, as it were, uh, through the wishes of the people, supposedly the people of God, though had been crucified by the people, this healing showed that he had also been crucified for the people, if they would only repent and see that he was the long-promised Messiah. And so he turns this sort of uh, initial period of rebuke into 
Yes, but don't you see that through this is all God's providence and there is a fantastic blessing, spiritual blessing for you, even you, having done this, if you will only repent of your sins and trust in this Messiah. Then Peter sums it up like this, and I just want to look at two verses really here this evening. Uh, it's how he sums it up in verses 22 and 23 of Acts 3. He says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from the people. And uh, he was quoting words that would have been very familiar to the Jews, particularly the Jews of his time, because they were looking for this prophet like Moses, who was uh, uh, to come uh, down the centuries, in a sense, ever since. The people had looked for the prophet who was like Moses, who was, in fact, uniquely like Moses. Because if they found one who was uniquely like Moses, he would surely be the Messiah. You remember perhaps from the Gospels that the Jewish leaders had asked John the Baptist, are you the prophet? They ask him uh, in chapter 1 of, of John's Gospel. And uh, John the Baptist replies very certainly, no, I'm not the prophet. That is, the prophet who was to come. And when Jesus started to perform his amazing miracles, many began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. That's John chapter 6. And so you can see that there was this general expectation that they would recognize the Messiah as being the one who was the prophet like Moses. And now, of course, in this passage, uh, the Apostle Peter finally confirms it, if it ever needed confirming, that Jesus Christ was the one who was the realization of all their hopes and dreams. He says, this is the prophet who was to come. It's all being done in the name of Jesus. You're right in wondering whether he was. I'm telling you who he is, the prophet who was to come. And it's in the name of this wonderful prophet, the Son of God, that this miracle has been performed. But that leaves us with a question which we ought to be able to answer. What was it that made Jesus a prophet like Moses? After all, in this passage that we've read, we read the whole of chapter 3, prophets are mentioned left, right, and center. There's, speak about, there's teaching here about prophets down through history. I don't know how many times I didn't count the word prophet occurs in this passage, but it's, it's numerous times. So he's got the idea of prophets on the mind, that prophets are going to be um, pointing all towards the prophet who is to come. But what is it that makes a prophet like Moses? In other words, what separated Moses from the rest of the prophets to the extent that none of them was truly like him until the coming of Christ? After all, they recognized lots of prophets down the centuries. What was it that was different about Moses that was not the same with these other prophets, but was the same when Jesus finally came into the world. Now, we can answer that in a number of ways, but one factor was undoubtedly uh, Jesus' amazing miracle-working power. Um, the closing words of the books of Moses, in other words, the very final words of the book of Deuteronomy, which were quite probably added centuries after the events recorded in them 
because they're speaking about Moses in the past tense. And uh, they state that, uh, they say, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses. So this could be centuries later. These final words were added. They're part of the word of God. But these are the words that are recorded at the end of Deuteronomy. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. More of that in a moment. For no one, it goes on to say, uh, as a reason, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Not that is until Jesus Okay, you can see how all the amazing miracles of Jesus would make them think, wow, this must be the prophet who was to come. Uh, miracles were not the remit of priests. Miracles were not the remit of kings. Uh, and most of the Old Testament prophets performed no miracles either. Even the wonders performed by those Proto-prophets, Elijah and Elisha, um, uh, they pale into insignificance alongside those that were performed by our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So clearly miracles come into the equation. But I think that's not the principal thing that distinguishes the prophet who is like Moses. I think the principal thing that separated Moses from the rest of the prophets until the coming of Christ was the unique way in which the Lord appeared and spoke to him. Even going back to those words at the end of Deuteronomy, they, they started, since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And God had told Aaron, Moses' brother, and Miriam, he had said to them, according to Numbers chapter 12, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. And so, to me, I think, and I think just reading from the scripture, the critical thing that made, that made Moses unique and that didn't occur again throughout all the prophetic line until the time of Christ was the way in which the Lord God, the Father in heaven, communicated with Moses. It was until the time of coming of Christ absolutely unique, speaking to Moses face to face. But if that's the case, then it leads to, I suppose, another question. What did this uniquely intimate communion that Moses had with God mean in practical terms? What difference did it make that Moses had this intimate face-to-face -face communion with the Father? Well, it meant that he could fulfill a role that was in itself unique it meant that he could truly act as a mediator between God and the people of Israel. God and man, as you know, separated by sin since the fall, leaving us with this cosmic dispute between God 
and humanity. God longing for this chasm to be breached, to be reconciled, longing for reconciliation. How is it going to happen? Only through a mediator who could understand both sides and be trusted by both sides. And the role of the mediator is so crucial in Scripture. And because Israel had delegated, as it were, the job to Moses, and because the Lord had agreed that he would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friends, as he's with his friend, the Scripture says, so it was that Moses was able to be the mediator of the Old Covenant, a covenant between God and Israel on Mount Sinai. So you can see here is this unique prophet who is marked out as the mouthpiece of God because he has this intimate communion with God so that all of God's nature and being that he wants to convey can be conveyed through this man, Moses. And the Moses is a man like the rest of his people. And so therefore he's ideally placed to be the mediator of the old covenant. But of course that's not good enough because the old earthbound covenant or testament was never going to be enough. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant was never designed to bring spiritual salvation. We know from the New Testament, the New Covenant, that there had to be this New Covenant. As the book of Hebrews says, superior to the Old One, established on better promises. And for this New Covenant, as Moses seemed to know, a far greater mediator would be required. A mediator who could understand and identify with both sides of the dispute perfectly. And if you're going to have a mediator who can understand and relate and identify with both sides in this cosmic dispute perfectly, then it requires that that mediator must be both God and man. It's one of the ways in which we approach the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways in which we see that Jesus had to be both fully God and fully man. Otherwise, he could not have done this mediating work and bringing us to God, back to God. No one else but our Savior, the Lord Jesus, could take on that role. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says, of course, in the words of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And perhaps you begin to see why the Lord Jesus is that prophet like Moses that the faithful remnant in Israel were longing and hoping for. And yet, though Jesus was like Moses, he's only like Moses because the prophetic ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to the ministry of Moses. He's not the same as Moses. He is similar in this sense that we've been speaking about, but he is far superior. As John writes in his Gospel, chapter 1, he says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What did Jesus bring that was superior, that was exclusively his? The grace and the mercy of the Gospel through faith in him. The old covenant was external 
engraved upon the stone, while the new covenant is internal and spiritual and written on our hearts. While Moses could only deliver the people of Israel out of the physical slavery of Egypt and to the borders of the promised land, Jesus delivers us, every believer, from the spiritual slavery of sin and into the very heart of the kingdom of God. Moses said on one occasion, you may remember, that he was prepared to die if the people could be saved. He said to the Lord, blot my name out of the book of life if only you will have forgiveness upon these people. Well, he was prepared for that. But the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, actually did it. The Lord Jesus, unlike Moses, actually did give his life in order to save his people and through his death and resurrection secured for them eternal life. What incredible love Christ has for both God and man. He wept over the breach between God and man and died in order to close it. And that moved the heart of the Father more than anything we can imagine. How dreadful it would be if something that moves the heart of God the Father doesn't move our heart when we reflect upon what God has done. Many hundreds of years before Jesus came into the world, Moses said that we would, must listen to him when this great prophet came. That's what he says in these verses. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. So it's a very solemn warning, isn't it? As um, This is going to be short tonight. Um, it's really important that we understand what Peter is saying here. How dreadful to be cut off from God because we refuse to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must listen to him. God doesn't want to terrify us or to destroy us. That's why he has not appeared to us himself in all his burning glory, unmediated, because if he did, we would be burnt up in a moment. We know that from the Old Testament. Nobody can see God and live. If there was not some mediating way in which God could bring us to himself, then we would simply suffer judgment because we must do. But God has found a way through this glorious prophet through this wonderful mediator, a prophet like Moses, only infinitely superior. And through his son, Jesus, God speaks to us so gently and in a way which we can both bear and understand. So the ultimate question I think really that I just want to leave you with tonight is, are we listening? Peter quotes Moses and said, you must listen to this prophet when he comes. It's clear that this prophet is Jesus. Are you listening to what he says? And are you living by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit for his glory?